3: Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Melissa Sercha.
2: And I am John Horsley. Today's cool because today's day's this was actually the first one you did for us.
3: Yeah, the first one I recorded with uh Casey. And I for the first one I was so excited to uh to be interviewing uh Daker Stoker.
2: Yeah, and it came on with came on and talked about his new his, his new Dracula book, right?
3: Yeah, his new Dracula stuff and also him you know unearthing uh his relative as you know bram stoker's um journals and you know maps and notes and things like that so they're doing a lot of stuff for the dracula universe with
2: uh oh chris mccauley too yep he's on on this as well yeah yeah and chris is a chris is a cool guy man i had a chance to chat with him on the phone for like basically an hour Him when I had a conversation about horror comics and comic books in general and books and stories and Dracula. It was pretty fun.
3: Awesome. Yeah. I actually talked to him on the phone too. Afterwards, <laughs> um, he, he hit me up and he was like, let's talk about comics. And, um, we just chatted, um, also about my own stuff. And he, he was super generous and sweet and was like, Hey, if you ever need help with, you know, writing, let me know. So, um, yeah, I was
2: really stoked to, to meet both of them. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. This was, this was a cool one. I, when, when this one came across the, uh, across the desks. I like to say Mm -hmm. it, 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 I was like, really? We're talking to him. That's pretty awesome. Cause I didn't I didn't know he was writing Dracula stuff at the time. And then I looked it up. I was like, Oh, he's actually written a lot of cool Dracula stuff uh, and continuations and keep going on it. So it's pretty awesome. And you guys had a good time too.
3: We had a great time. I mean, I think we talked for, for quite a while i mean yeah. we could have talked to him all night actually if we if we could uh yeah and i had a lot of fun and for my first you know like foray into you know the interviewing i was like okay no pressure i'm just interviewing someone super legendary no big deal <laughs> but um <laughs> no he was deal. super nice and gracious and yeah it was it was fun i learned a lot about uh bram stoker
2: too right right well what do you say we just sit back and uh listen to to dacre and chris in their own words
0: All right, everybody welcome again to another episode of spoiler country today on the show we have a special treat for you guys we have Melissa sersha on as a co- let me start this over this is bull crap I'm sorry all right Hello, everybody Melissa. welcome Hi. again <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome again to Motherfucking Spoiler Country. Today <laughs> on the show we have Chris McCauley. we have Docker Stoker. Okay, and stop. You got to stop me.
4: My fucking name is okay. Daker, not Docker. Okay, Daker. And I, and oh I, gosh! I, guess I should have said that everybody gets it wrong, but just think acre of land with a D, and, and now you can go Daker. Down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get all, we'll get all the
1: fucks out of the way first Get it all, out of the way, way.
4: Yeah. Fuck-y, fuck-y, fuck 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 <laughs>
0: Alright <laughs> everybody <laughs> <laughs> Alright everybody welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country Today on the show we have Dacre Stoker Don't get his fucking name wrong We have Chris McCauley And also joining me helping out with the interview We have Melissa Sersha. Melissa
4: how are you today?
5: I'm doing well. How's everybody else? <laughs> doing, doing,
4: good? doing just great. Once the hurricane fl- flew over, I'm d- doing much better today. Oh yeah, that's
0: scary. Yeah, it's it's, and it looks like there are a few more things developing in the in the Gulf right now. So look forward to that, man.
4: <laughs> if yep. it's not natural, it's supernatural, and we can take care of the supernatural. But the natural stuff—that's pretty powerful too, man. That that was—it's been some big stuff, and just the start of the season. So. Here we go, but we're also getting close to October, and that's my season.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
4: oh yeah. So, so let's get into that a little bit. So, so
0: what is your tie to October? Tell me a little bit about yourself, Docker
4: or Dacre. Yeah, that, I always everybody gets the name wrong, and that's okay. We'll, we'll see how many times we can change it up a little bit. But that, that's cool. That's it, a drink, it, 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 if you get it wrong, you got to drink. And, and and if you don't, if you get it right like Chris does, you got to drink anyway because he's no. Irish. <laughs> But so was Bram Stoker. No, my great-granduncle was Bram Stoker. I was born and raised in Canada. Bram's youngest brother, George, uh, had a son who came to Canada, and he helped start the Montreal Stock Exchange back in the you know, early 1900s. And I kind of got tired of the Canadian winters after a while and moved to Tornado Alley and, and the hurricane country of South Carolina. But you know, <laughs> seriously, though, my life kind of changed from being a teacher, a coach, I actually coached in the Olympic Games for Canada in a sport called modern pentathlon. And I sort of threw all my energies into trying to figure out the legacy of my famous relative, trying to find out his inspirations and his motivations for writing Dracula. And uh, that kind of was about 15 years ago. And I I haven't looked back. It's been a lot of fun. I've met some really cool people on the way, people I've learned things from, people that I've taught things to. Co authors, and you know, now I'm working on graphic novels and comics with this Irish guy, Chris McCauley, who's you know now in Canada where I used to live. So somehow the world has turned upside down, but it's put me in the position to do some really cool stuff graphically in an area that I've never, you know, done much with Chris. So I think that's probably a good start for me to get going. You need to hear about this guy a little bit because he's kind of pretty special and he's really i uh, got a kinship with Bram Stoker that I will not say and let him talk about it himself. That's, that's very kind of you. Jesus, that's some introduction. Well, I've had, I've had, a, I had a beer already.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're one up on me at the minute. So, yeah, I'm probably well-known in, in comic book circles. Started working in UK comics about two years ago. Worked uh, with AD, Did Judge Dredd, Sinister Dexter. Was a colorist. So I became a writer. I started writing a few uh, Judge Dredd stories and then moved on from there to working in video games. So I work with a video game company called Utomic at the minute. So it's a PC subscription-based company, and I work with them. I also developed and designed a few games for a couple of Canadian companies. I've worked with Bioware on Star Wars The Old Republic MMO, I was a story content guy for that. What else have I done? I've worked with Disney. I'm working with Disney, legendary Disney Imagineer, Terry Harden Jackson at the minute. I'm also working on, working on a Batman comic with her actually, which is really interesting. It's her first ever excursion into graphic novels. So you would know her work from uh, Ghostbusters. She created uh, the Proton Packs and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and the Demon Dogs from Ghostbusters. She's worked on I think 46, a total of 46 films, and uh, we work together, so just, which is a really good experience. And yeah, I'm, I'm currently working with various comic book companies, like 123 Go Publications. I work on Malik, which uh, your Jeffrey Hasses writes oh, very yeah, elegantly. Yeah. So I colour that. I colour a uh, comic anthology, I've coloured. I think I've, I've worked on about five or six different titles with them. So far this year, I think a total have worked in something like maybe thirty in the last year, like thirty graphic novels. So it's been a it's been a a, a big journey, and that's that. awesome. you know I've been very lucky because I've been able to work with people that need gaming. And oh, and that's 2080, awesome. and so
0: yeah, it's been fun. How, what was your what was the impetus for you to move stateside? Because you started in Ireland, correct?
1: Yeah, I Irish guy met this lovely, beautiful Canadian girl. And she uh, came over and lived in Ireland, lovely for 16 months. And then we decided to move to Canada. I love Canada. Uh, I love the country. I actually even tolerate the winters. I don't mind the winters as much. So yeah, I just, I love it here. I obviously love home, but the two places are actually fairly similar. There's a similar feel to the countryside. Once you get out of the city, I live in Edmonton. But once you get out of the city, there's a familiar scene to the countryside, which is which is lovely. Awesome,
0: awesome. I'm yep. really uh, impressed. anytime anybody brings out the 2008 2080 credentials, because we don't get a whole lot of them down here. But every
1: time I see one at the comic shop, I have to snatch it up. Who's your favorite character? Is it, go- is it going to be Judge Dredd? Is that nice? <laughs> going to be that?
0: I mean, honestly, it's mostly like. Most of the stuff that I've seen is dread-based. Yeah. And, but also
1: Trooper. I love Trooper. hope Trooper's a great character. Being made into a film by, uh, I think, Duncan James is the guy who's to, it's been made into a film. It was options. Really fascinating character. Pat Mills, he was my comic book mentor, the guy he started 2000 AD. He's well-known for Slaying. He created Slean, which is the uh, sort of the Conan-esque character. He really taught me a lot about narrative, comic book narrative, both himself and the gamer taught me a lot about narrative. And it's it is vastly different to any other form of story construction. The the, the graphic novel or comic. It's just this beautiful synthesis of prose and imagery. It, you know it really can take a story and as you read it, it really imbues all the senses. So, you know, you can almost be there. I always said that if you look at Mike McMahon's um, original 2000 AD drawings for Mega City One, you could almost climb into the panel and be there. And I think that's the power of a graphic novel.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's so much stuff that I find in, like, the British comics that just... Does, has it been really explored in American comics? And I think that's mainly just because of our insistence on people wearing tights and, you know, <laughs> all that <laughs> stuff.
1: So Yeah, it, there is. I mean, it, lov- the lovely thing about this project that I'm working on with Decker is that it is unique. We have several unique forms of, of story which, we're, which we can offer up. And. You know, nobody in them wears tights at the moment.
0: <laughs> uh, well, there's nobody except
1: <laughs> uh, Yeah, there is. There, I mean, there's, there are an infinite amount of stories you can tell in comic books. And the fact is, if you have a good artist and a good colorist, you've got a bigger budget than any Hollywood film could ever achieve. Oh, yeah. And it, it's really, it's really, it's a really powerful medium. And that's why I'm excited about this project, because I can hand you a book of Bram's short stories, Bram was a literary genius. There was no doubt about it. He was very driven. He was influenced by a lot of the greats of his time, especially at Graham and Poe. But he brought a unique flavor to Gothic literature. But it, he can be very hard to penetrate. So with a graphic novel, we can bring some of that genius to the masses and get Bram Stoker talked about in schools, in universities, and just show how entertaining the stories
4: really are.
5: Yeah. How did you and Dacre first start discussing this? What was that process like?
4: Well, I'll go first and you tell the truth, okay, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he found me on Facebook and, and kind of asked me on a date, and the date was called, would you write a little something for Dracula, Lord of the Future? And and honestly, I'll tell you guys, I get so many of these inquiries. Oh, would you write the intro? Would you look at my script? Would you read my screenplay? I'm working on a Dracula thing. You must be the expert. Could you please? And I'm like, oh, God, not another one. But (laughs) obviously there was something about it that it was like, this is a pretty cool idea of Dracula being in space. And I just, you know, as a kid i i mean not a, okay i'm gonna date myself by saying lost in space you guys probably don't even know what that was but i love lost in space this is a tv show right not the movies and then i also love the alien movies and it just sort of stuck like horror to me that was horror and then when chris said dracula in space i go okay this guy's onto something so i followed up answered the facebook message and you know it was just the one good idea after another and i guess number one Being an Irishman and the fact that he shares other, and then I'll let him explain if he feels like it, what other kinship he has with Bram. But I felt right off the bat, he wasn't somebody just exploiting Bram Stoker and Dracula. He was paying homage and doing it in the right way. And that's kind of what I'm all about. You know, I've got got no problem with people making movies and all these different adaptations and inspirations. That's fine, because he has inspired so many different, creative forms of art. And and this is one of it, but by, by just kind of staying true to what Bram's intent was, but placing him, placing his character. And, you know, as he just finished saying, there's more than Dracula that we're working on, but this one happened to be a Dracula related project. I thought this was worth it. And then I just the more he explained it. And then we got on the phone, we got on Skype, we started talking about it and it was, this is neat. And it also filled an interesting void with me I'm not a comic or a graphic guy. Um, Again, aging myself, I was Mad Magazine, Archie, Batman, all that as a kid. And then I got so into sport, didn't even read my school books, for goodness gracious, until I absolutely have to. So I didn't have much time for other stuff. But I have gone, I've seen the light. And I've realized, and Chris has helped me do that, another form of bringing Bram's writing to another section of the world that you know either hasn't read his short stories or hasn't read all of his novels or don't quite get him graphic novels and com- comics are a way to go and he's helped me figure that out and he's pledged to help me do it so that was the first second and third date i just explained there <laughs> chris how much of that was true and how, how did it go for you i say
1: fairly you you've, you've you know like like any person with last name stoker you've adequately romanticized yeah yeah I mean Dracula Lord of the Future was the start of it so that's a it's a originally it was a one shot for 123 Go Phoebe who's the editor in chief she asked me to come up with an idea just a brief idea that you could tell in four to six pages and if you like 2000 AD the guy who illustrates it, it's a guy who's who's quite uh, he's linked to British comics Colin Maxwell so he actually illustrated the the story oh. it is the central premise is quite simple it's you know, what would happen if a Weyland-Yutani-type company kidnaps Dracula to extract <laughs> some of his tissue, some of his blood, to turn those into pharmaceutical products?
4: Wow. It's the most That's, powerful stuff on Earth. I mean, who would not want it, really? You know,
1: who, who wouldn't want it? I and mean, we, really, we haven't really discovered it. We haven't really explored that. I mean, I have really bootstrapped myself into Dracula Mythos from you know film, TV, I think I've watched about 35 films in the last two weeks. And, you know, I haven't seen that before. It's been crazy. I haven't seen any of that, you know. And the feel of it, I wanted the feel of it to be very much the original Dracula. So it's not the interpretation of this wildly handsome young man. No, it's this warrior. It's this uh, warlord who has iron-grey hair and an iron-grey moustache and looked a bit like Jack Looks, He looks quite ruggedly handsome. You know, he looks very masculine. I think a lot of the modern interpretations of Dracula focus more on the overt sensuality when the real horror of Dracula is that he is grotesque, but he Mm -hmm. seduces you in certain ways. Chris,
4: can I just interrupt you just for a quick second? Just put some context. He's absolutely right. Bram's original description of Dracula in the 1897 novel, he was not the handsome guy uh, at all. But... As when he passed away and then his wife worked with Hamilton Dean and later on John Balderson to, to bring Dracula onto the stage, that's when two other actors and then Bella Lugosi, you know, m- massively brought the house down. And that's when we, ha- we had the more attractive Eastern European looking aristocrat who needed to be attractive in the dinner jacket and all that because, you know, stage uh, playgoers, theatergoers. Needed to see that, otherwise, they would have been repulsed and they wouldn't have even shown up. So that's how the metamorphosis started. But Chris and I are determined to work with, and we've got some other partners in in other areas to kind of go back to the basics, you know, that the retro feel. Go back to the type of Dracula that Bram created, the vibe, the theme that he created. So that's, uh, keep going, Chris. I just want to put so that. We, yeah, we haven't seen
1: that before. And I think I'm right. Was it the Fanu,
4: the guy uh, who wrote the
1: Pardon the the dra- or the, the vampire novel? So that, was,
4: that was a Polidari. John Polidari. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: It was, it was that elegant.
4: Yeah. It Root was that elegant was. sort okay. of
1: style, yeah. wasn't it? But yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it. It's something that has not been seen before. I mean, even Ford Coppola's film where he you know, brazenly says Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dracula in the title. It's, not <laughs> Bram, it's not Bram Stoker's Dracula at all. It really isn't. You know, there are. it's a very good film. It's a beautiful artistically done film. A lot of people disagree with me, but I really enjoyed it. I loved the Van Helsing character.
4: I I love the interpretation that Anthony Hopkins brought. Chris, I think the said, reason people don't like it, and oh boy, I hear it a lot. It's not because mm-hmm. it's not a good film. It's the hardcore those people who are so faithful to Bram's novel they hate yeah. the that the name Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah. is on there. And it's really Francis Ford Coppola. And it Jim is. It's, it's it's his interpretation yeah. of it. And, right. The visuals um, in that
1: movie were amazing, though. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I think Hopkins is quite is quite faithful to his the interpretation okay. of Van Helsing. I mean, there's one scene where he says very quietly at the end, gentlemen, we have all become God's madmen.
4: Yeah. So I love
1: what really attracts me to any story about Dracula. It's not just the central character of Dracula, but it's how people who encounter him change because everybody is transformed in some way by Dracula. So in Lord of the Future, I do show that. It is quite, it's quite limited because it's six pages. I approached... Decker because I was very concerned that I had done Bram an Injustice with my writing or I had done, I just wanted the Stoker state and the family to sort of look at it. And if they said they didn't like it, if they thought it was too lurid or it, it was distasteful, I wouldn't have it published. I just would have, I would have come up with something else. But it was very important to me even at that stage. So I went to Trinity University in Dublin. As same university, <laughs> Yeah, same university that Bram went to. My wife, whenever we did tours around Trinity, I actually talked to her about Bram Stoker. You know, her school thing was, oh, yeah, the guy who created Dracula. am like, yeah, but he's not just the guy who created Dracula. And we, you know, I, I was quite passionate about that. You know, he, he lived a life that was incredible. You know, he, he theater.
4: Lived, can, can I... Cut? I'll keep interjecting because you're setting me up really nicely. And we didn't rehearse this. No, we didn't. But one of the cool things about Trinity that really needs to be explained, I I was a school teacher, middle school, high school. And I get it when I see young boys and girls growing up, awkward adolescent period and sort of coming into their own. Bram was a very sick child for the first seven years of his life. Born just outside of Dublin in Clontarf. Very sickly, wasn't expected to live somehow overcame this illness and part of his recovery I I am absolutely convinced was him being sent out by his mother and his uncles who were doctors to go and take long walks I think the illness centered around his respiratory system and and asthma because he did recover and these long walks on the seaside and the salt air I think made him healthy but it also turned him into quite the you know the confident athlete But he wasn't always that way. If you guys all kind of can visualize, you know, a 13, 14-year-old boy who immediately grows in a year or two to six foot two, the largest in the family and the tallest guy around all his peers. And then on the sports field, he becomes really quite useful. He plays rugby and does it very well. And he wins trophies for race walking, rowing, gymnastics, long jump with trapeze. He was the all-around athletics champion uh, in Trinity. So. Here's a guy that went from near death for seven years, strange adolescent period, lives in his head by kind of getting this incredible sense of imagination by these near-death experiences and stories told to him, but he blossoms when he hits the campus. And because of their sports program, he then develops all this confidence to become head of the philosophical society, head of the historical societies, involved in drama, debating. He is sort of what we would call a big man on campus. And that kind of gave him a lot of confidence to develop himself and then develop in an area that his father really wasn't that interested in because his dad got him a job as a clerk in the Petty Sessions legal department. So he wanted to be involved in the arts. And he started writing poetry. I found his journal and actually published it. Uh, And so I could see this guy beginning to, to flourish as this writer, but he was being squished to sort of that creative side of him to be a boring mundane clerk. And that's the environment that Chris is talking about yeah. is young Bram Stoker growing up, coming into his own, in this incredibly, you know, very, you know, well-known and well thought of academic institution. And he was the, the big man on campus and in Dublin himself. So that's where he made his mark.
1: Yeah. You go to, if you go to Trinity, you'll see, there's actually a, there's a couple of pictures. I used to eat, in a, in a pub as well in Dublin that would have had a picture of Bram Stoker in it.
4: Well, they've got a Um, Bram Stoker club. Um, Uh, part of the philosophical society is the Bram Stoker club for delivering papers. And Bram started it when he was the head, because he realized some people were, you know, intelligent and wrote good papers, but they weren't very effective as orators. And so they were at a disadvantage. So they started the portion of the club to read your paper so even if you weren't great at public speaking, which we all know is an art, you deliver your paper, and they've revived revived that whole club. And there's actually a cool painting by a guy called Damien Draven, who has become a friend that I commissioned the oil painting, which I have in my home. But I then a- a- asked Damien, would he give permission to have a print made and put it? And we, we donated it to to Trinity. So there's another picture, Chris. Oh, cool. sure you got a
1: chance. I must. I must go and see that. Yeah, I must it's go and beautiful. see that. I mean- Another connection I have with Bram Stoker that Decker is alluding to is that I'm a Freemason, and so was, so was Bram Stoker. And that's a quite a strong tie. So really, I wanted to make sure that whatever I had written was, was okay. You know, I, d- I didn't want to take any liberties. Then, you know, Decker liked it. We got on to chat, and we started talking about, you know, Bram's work and how it could possibly be Translated into into graphic novel format to reach a wider appreciation he, his writing is incredible in such a way that it's like a painter he paints words when you when you look at Stoker's work, it is like looking at a painting. Greystones Stones is one of my favorite poems and it's featured in is it Stoker on Stoker well
4: I, I, I use it, I use it in Stoker and Stoker, but it originated. It's the first dated piece of writing that anyone's ever found, and it's and I, we found it in his lost journal, and then I actually had it, it put in into this pamphlet, excuse me, a booklet that accompanies the lectures that I give. And I'll just say one more thing. I mean, it's, obviously, this is all about Bram Stoker. He was an artist, and he actually was a founding member while he was at Trinity of the Dublin Painting and Sketching Club, and there have been a few... One painting that has popped up in Cruden Bay, Scotland, attributed to Bram in a house that he rented. And the signature is almost rubbed off, but it's been uh, validated by an expert. And then myself and another Dubliner have actually found a couple of sketches that Bram did. It's funny, he he didn't do it professionally. I think it was just a, a pastime. Florence, his wife liked to paint as well in the holidays. But what it does is exactly as Chris said, he looks at things. In a different way, because he has got this artistic background. And, you know, uh, there was actually an American reviewer, I think it was Detroit, that said the same thing as Chris did. And and Chris, I I promise, I know we have never rehearsed this. He said, Bram Stoker (laughs) paints with the eye. He writes with the eye of a painter. And, And it's because he was talking about Dracula. And if you read Dracula and you read it with the eye that Bram Stoker never went to Transylvania... But he's done a heck of a lot of research, and, and plenty of other people did go to Transylvania that wrote books about their adventures and described the countryside, the people, the cities, their customs, and put it in their books that sit now in the London Library. Bram used those books sort of secondhand as if you and I would go Google a location if we wanted to write it into a novel, Melissa. You know, you'd look at some picture of it. Yeah, I was there. But Bram had to get that from books with just a few sketches. And, and so that's what a painter would do. So sorry, keep going, Chris.
1: No, there's also a deeply spiritual context to a lot of what Bram writes. You mentioned Scotland, and what's interesting is you know, Scotland actually has a a claim to uh, the, you know the, the Dracula mythos with Cruden Bay. Yeah, and a lot of Bram's writing centers around the coexistence of Christian and pagan beliefs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you look at there of White Worm, that comes out quite a lot. But yeah, uh, it was it was very interesting because in Aberdeenshire, they were still doing the pagan festivals,
4: which yep. might have observed. I- I'm so- convinced he did. I really am. This mm-hmm. guy wrote a book, Mike Shepard wrote a book called When Brave Men Shuddered that I did the intro to. Mike is convinced. Same thing as you're saying that he did. Yep. And you know, in in a funny way, Bram was sort of a believer. I mean, he certainly was a church follower and, and a believer in God, but he also was looking at the earth as Mother Earth, this pantheism concept that Walt Whitman, I think, inter- introduced to him. And that was one of the things yeah. that he felt comfortable with in Cruden Bay, Scotland. My God, he went there 13 summer holidays there. It's the only place he kept going back to and back to. He went to Whitby once, but Cruden Bay was his place. And I've been there twice and I kind of get it because it's so unspoiled. And it also has very interesting and yet strange geographical features that you wouldn't notice unless you were looking for it. They've got this granite shelf that is sort of upheaved by you know, the tectonic plates underneath the North Sea. And when at low tide, you see these kind of red and pinkish rocks and you see-
0: I'm looking the at them now.
4: <laughs> oh, it's, it's incredible. And and then it, it blends perfectly into these long, flat beaches, and then into the, the seagrass, and then into the the countryside. And at nighttime, it's like everything touches, like the, the, the stars come down and the earth comes up. And that was where Bram was at one with himself and with the earth. And then, as Chris said, yeah. Emily Girard, the lady who wrote Land Beyond the Forest and *Transylvania Superstitions, was Scottish. And she was totally focused on the rituals and mythology and things that, that they, they had. And I'm, I'm sure that was a big part of it. So we seem to be dominating. We haven't heard from Melissa yet, who is, this is <laughs> no, right I'm up fascinated. your alley. So,
5: I'm so fascinated by everything you're saying. It's like um, you're taking me on this journey. It's incredible. Uh, I am curious, uh, how old were you Decker, when, you sort of became aware that this was your family legacy, uh, where it was sort of this reality. And, and why did you feel this pull to want to contribute to it and to celebrate it and join the ranks?
4: You know, it sort of happened in stages. The first thing was when I was in the birthing room and the doctor was holding garlic when I came out. And it was like, <laughs> oh, 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 my God, something must be up. So, you know, once my mom said, it's okay, son, just take it easy. No, actually, at about 12, in Montreal, Canada, growing up, the kids would joke at Halloween, oh, what happens if we come to the Stoker household? You know, you're going to take our blood or give us candy, and that becomes old after a while. But I asked my dad, I said, dad, what's this all about? I said, son, it's time to show you. So he brought me to the the house in the library and pulled out this yellow first edition copy of Dracula signed by... Bram to his mom and had a couple other names, the other family members it was passed to. And funnily enough, this was, you know, early 70s. We didn't know that much about the legacy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I learned about it after I had tried to read Dracula about the age of 13 or 14. And it was a very difficult book to read. So I sort of got it. But it wasn't until I read McNally and Florescu, who wrote In Search of Dracula, And I was in university and it was now time in an English literature class to do a report on an author. And so I said, okay, it's now time to delve into this. Melissa, that's when I sort of got the idea of the worldliness of Brand's influence and how many people around the world were really into this. And Mm -hmm. so that, again, that that part paused because I was so into making the Olympics for Canada as an athlete and, and then later as a coach, it really wasn't until you know, the early 2000s, that my wife, who's really big into genealogy, said, you know, Dacre, if we don't do this, nobody else in your family is is going to reconnect, because my dad had passed away, one of his other brothers had passed away, and the final brother in the family was really the keeper of the papers, and he would send us things by fax that we should be reading, and, you know, as you guys know, faxes are, like, they curl up and then the ink all goes away. And if you don't read it in about a week, it's all gone. So we quickly read these things from my uncle, Patty, which is really cool stuff about our, our relative and, and what he knew about Bram and so on, that it was okay. I need to do this. And then there was a little bit of fate. I got this phone call from a screenwriter who had written a play, excuse me, a screenplay about Prince Vlad Dracula as a vampire so he was kind of doing the thing that, that Jim Hart and Coppola did, and it didn't go anywhere. But he said, you know, I think it'd be really cool if a Stoker got involved, and it would be neat if we had Bram Stoker in this story. Would you be interested in, in getting involved and doing the research and doing co-writing with me on this? And it was at a time when I was I just decided to stop teaching at a certain school. The school was kind of not going where I wanted to go in the direction. And it was like I was in between things. I said, why not? And my wife said, let's do it. And so we, we just stuck in like I would be training for the Olympics. I was training for the Bram Stoker Dracula Olympics. And just <laughs> I've got to read the biographies, go to conferences, you know, make, make the trek to Dublin, go to England and meet Bram's great grandsons, the direct descendants, you know, look at their files and their boxes of things and look what they have and just try to absorb as much as I can, because by golly, I'm going to be co-authoring a book on this. And that was Dracula the Undead that came out in, in 09. And just, you know, from then I haven't turned back because in, in the process of that, I found this lost journal that I then moved into the sort of more academic world and had the famous Elizabeth Miller, Dr. Elizabeth Miller, help me transcribe these, this, the journal, make sense of it and make comments on it. And we split it up 50, 50, and that came out to the world. So I, I had a, a a novel out and then a this journal and then i started creating some cool ideas on my own and then this book dracul came out which was a long time in the making which is a mm-hmm. huge success the um yeah.
5: congratulations on that by the way yeah.
4: so yeah that's the the short version it, i could go on but i'm not going to but that's you know that's what prompted me to get into this and and no looking back melissa that's right
5: yeah awesome
4: so
0: you you guys are are basically bringing Dracula into the future in this
1: comic, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's one possible future, <laughs> right? So it is. It has been commissioned as a series, so Decker and myself will be co-writing cool it, and you know it's it's going to be a fun story. So given that you know that's one of the trajectories it's
0: going to go, a lot of the gothic narrative back when you know Dracula w- was written had to do with the just sheer awfulness of the the industrial revolution and how it's taking man away from nature taking man away from god how we need to go back to you know a simpler life how can how are you going to are you going to talk about that at all in the in the book
1: in the comics yeah i mean yes it's a bit it's a bit like i mean the first issue has you know a company a corporation which will you will find more out about and really you know they take dracula and for all of dracula's sins they do treat him quite appallingly you know and it's what an individual is worth on the black market what they've done is, it's like the, it's like you know, a bit of a, a bit like the modern day horror stories where you have people who are sort of kidnapped and then their organs are used on the black market. It's pretty much what they're doing with Dracula. I don't, I don't want to give away the game, but you know, we've got a we've got a series, so he's okay at the end of this, right? He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry, give, don't worry, we haven't killed
4: him yeah, off. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> we're
1: not we're not killing him off, but I up, think Terry. there's. Yeah, yeah, I think there's the capability to look at Dracula and use Dracula and vampirism as a lens for many things. I mean, vampirism is a lens for you know, syphilis and the various sexually transmitted diseases yeah. that were about around about the time mm-hmm. that Dracula was written. Horror is also a good lens to look at the banality of evil as well. There is a level of banality to Dracula's evil. Dracula uses people. He uses people, he doesn't care about them.
4: The real Dracula doesn't. Yep. Yeah, the real Dracula, <laughs> yes. We have to, we have to say that, yeah.
1: The original Dracula. He has powers and desires, and if you read Powers of Darkness, which is the Icelandic translation of Dracula, you'll see that Dracula, it's not a romance story. No, it's, no, very no. Much, it's very much about power. So power uh, yeah, and domination. So in the future when we are dealing with corporations, corporate greed, what would Dracula be influenced by the environment around him?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: How would he behave? How would, how, how would he work? How would he operate?
4: And, so and it's, if, you, if you think of this for just a sec, sorry to digress, but Bram set Dracula, we think, I mean, from his notes, in 1893, even though it was published in 1897, he, he wrote it into real time, real places, real newspaper, journals diaries, all that stuff, what we're doing is is something similar, right? We're writing it a little bit in the future, but we've got people in international space stations. We've got, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty close to having civilians going up in, in, you know, virgin uh, airways and their first supersonic rocket and all this stuff. So it's not, you know, the, the concept that Bram had to make this horror, even though it was classic gothic stuff, but his twist was he made it so freaking realistic with the epistolary style that Chris mm-hmm. and I said what would it be like nowadays so not only do we have the you know the lord of the future but we've got plenty of other ideas to sort of bridge gaps and and other graphic projects based on as we said some of bram's short stories we you know my cousin's the, the bram stoker estate are interested in in us going forward with some of that you know gotta make it the right deals but Get some of his other stuff out there. What about some of the other backstories too that we've you know that people discuss all the time about unfinished little bits and pieces of Dracula? I'm not sure, Melissa, you're a, you're a fellow author, but you know, Melissa, have you ever heard of Dracula's Guest, for instance? That short story? Does that ring a bell? I've
5: heard of it. Yes, I have not read it, but I've heard of it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a no, good I'm it's, a big fan of uh, Okay. It's a good it's a good read, and it's something that when J.D. Barker and I wrote Dracul, which was the prequel to Dracula, we went out and looked at the Dracula typescript that the Paul Allen estate owns and matched up those 101 missing pages oh, that, wow. that Dracula's oh, okay. guest was definitely part of it. There's no question we found three references in the typescript that were crossed out that had situations happening in Dracula's guest. And there's no you know, you, there's no arguing when you see that. And in addition, when his widow published it two years after he died, she said this was excised from my husband's, you know, most famous book. But you know, naysayers go, "Oh, that's she just wanted to sell books, and that's why." Well, who's the protagonist?
1: The protagonist is even called Johann. Yeah. Oh, Jonathan Johann. That's even just for God's sake, folks. Don't watch the film that's called no. Dracula's Guest. Don't
4: know stuff. There was no, nothing watch to it. do with it. It was a cheap way to get the rights. It has nothing to do with it. But yeah. go read the books. Only you can get it for free. I'm not trying to make money for my family, but it's worth it. And so we're looking at some of these other cool things that plug into Dracula, the back stories of some of these other characters that, that need some developing. Brand, you know, his book was very long and a lot of stuff got cut out. So that's why mm. you don't really understand where Mina really came from and Lucy and all the rest of them. Yeah. So Chris and I have some cool ideas on how to sort of round out some of those interesting things besides just the totally original stuff on our own.
1: Yeah. It's oh, not given enough in a way to say that we have a roadmap. Mm-hmm. We like to call it the road to Dracula. Yeah. And it is a roadmap. And it's for me, I like to look at Dracula as a whole, as I said, you know, earlier, that how do people – how are people affected when they meet Dracula? For Renfield, he was a messiah. For Jonathan Harker, he was grotesque, and he was horrified by him. You know, you get that in the, in the actual original text, but I want to sort of tease that out a little bit. You and know. Lucy was attracted to him, and me, know it, it was a
4: puzzle. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. It's that it's all that weird stuff because there is some romance in Dracula I mean whenever the the whenever the Dracula's brides for want of a better word are sort oh. of thrown off Jonathan Harker and they throw the, the he throws the baby and that's a, a really horrendous scene. the baby yeah. down on the ground and they mock him and basically said he had never loved and he said oh I you know well I too have loved and that's another very interesting line which we but Decker and I will be exploring so you know it One of our goals in the the Road to Dracula series is to give fans a rounded view of the original text, but also start to tease out the various pasts of these individuals so that whenever we eventually do tackle the main story, there's there's greater resonance for anybody who follows our Road to Dracula roadmap. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. It's not that we're adding anything as such, but we're trying to make greater resonance by teasing out these stories.
5: We're mm-hmm. completing like a Dracula universe, essentially. Of all the pretty, pretty
1: much. And then, aside from that, we have original stories. You know, we have original stories that feature some classic horror film characters, but with twists. You know, we've mentioned that we have the Bram Stoker short stories that we mm-hmm. are converting to graphic novel format. We have so many ideas because it's such a rich universe to play in. And Bram, Bram wrote not just about you know vampires, but he wrote a really eloquent mummy story, which tied in directly to the stuff about paganism, and Christianity, and that's you know we've, we're so excited about what we can bring to the reader as a form of entertainment, but also you know to really showcase Bram Stoker's work, why it's important. To our culture, why? I think more than any other offer, I think Bram has brought more to our modern culture, mm-hmm. our more modern understanding of entertainment. You know, I think he's he's brought that
4: in Spades. You know, let me ask Melissa a question just for a second because I, I er, earlier we chatted that you've written some vampire mm-hmm. style novels yourself, and and again not rehearsed. What okay. have you got out of? Has is, is, is Bram Stoker influenced you in any way in, in any of his writings that have helped you or uh, given you little tidbits and things that have got, helped you in your writing?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest thing that really resonated with me was this concept of immortality. And I think it's obviously something that every human being wishes they could possess at some point. But also the concept of good and evil in the lens of the person's perspective because every every villain is the hero of their own story, right? So essentially, it's this like crazy like juxtaposition of like, are you the hero or the villain in relation to what your perception is about what you're doing? So for Bram Stoker's Dracula, I do believe that his Dracula was, you know, doing what he did because this is who he was. You know, he um, lived his life the way that he felt was right, and He was a creature, a predator. Um, There are many things, but I think it also really influenced me in the concept of good and evil and struggling with humanity. So like in my books, I have vampires who still cling to their humanity, remember what it was like to be human. And when it comes to war, you know, they can turn that on. But when it comes to love or passion or, you know, taking pity on someone who's weaker than they are, that humanity sometimes comes back and haunts them. And so I think of vampires as being sort of very depressed characters because as much as we want immortality, living forever might not be the best thing, you know? <laughs> he,
4: he takes <laughs> life, he takes life, but he gives I- immortal life, but what's the trade-off? And is it really that cool an idea to be around yeah. forever when all your loved ones and your friends mm-hmm. <laughs> don't have that that luxury?
5: Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean I right. That's a. It's an interesting. The whole immortality aspect of vampirism is interesting, and I think you know a lot of the a lot of the troops we have don't understand like vampirism. You know what a lot of people don't know is that you know mythologically speaking, vampires can go out in the sun. The key difference is that they can't exercise their magical powers. Some Just an up.
4: invention of Nosferatu, wasn't it, Chris? I mean, Bram didn't use that at all. About the, the no white- the. No,
1: it's yeah. it, but it's it's Brandon used it, but it, mythologically speaking, it's that's actually that's actually a, a, a thing. So that's why I found that very interesting that you included that in Trickle. Yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was that was that was well done. Cool. So if you haven't read it, folks, go and read Trickle. It's really good. <laughs> Thank
4: you. <laughs> I just there you go. I just... There's our plug, mate. Thank you. That's one. Okay. That's enough.
0: <laughs> one thing that that was really cool about the original Bram Stoker no- novel was it was all just, it was written in forms of like diary entries and ship's logs and all that other stuff. It wasn't like just a straightforward narrative. Are you guys going to explore any of that in the comic?
4: W- well, I mean, l- let me just say that it's not easy. And when I made the I guess I I wouldn't say say the mistake. I didn't realize it was a mistake at the time. Writing Dracula the Undead in normal prose, as you just said, really turned off people because it was supposed to be a sequel. And there was some, I mean, many people loved it to death, but then some of the purists, how could this be a sequel? It's not in the the same epistolary style. How, How dare you? And it was like, whoa, sorry. I didn't, I mean, I realized you know, this was hallowed ground after the fact, but really hallowed ground. So I was determined to rectify that. And when J.D. Barker and I, when I approached him and I had this outline, I said, J.D., whatever we do, we need to be able to write in the epistolary style because we'll get roasted yet again. And and, and I have just got over it. It's been, you know, eight years. Right? <laughs> I got over it, man. The burn marks, you know. So it's like, okay, let's do it. And neither of us had written that way before. So it took us a while but it is a really interesting way to write because you can build tension from many different directions by having different characters in their own diaries or things that are put out in the newspaper can build tension, and yet it's not a collective feeling that's that happens at the same time when people realize, oh, what's going on here? And so graphically, when you do something in a, in a graphic novel and again i'm coming this from just you know a few months of doing this with chris you don't have quite as much space as many pages to develop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you, you know it's it's a little bit difficult to do a graphic novel in epistolary style but i'd love to ask chris he know, he may know the answer to that yeah, are there, there some
1: are, they do them well yeah <laughs> there or are ways no of, to yeah, do it
4: there are there are ways to do it it's
1: what's really interesting about the difference between american comics and uk comics and European comics. UK comics will not be as wordy, generally. American comics will be more wordy. And European comics have a way of displaying prose in a comic book format that's unparalleled. So I'm looking at French publishers like Glenat. There's another vampire story called Requiem Vampire Night that my mentor, Pat Mills, created. And he kind of crafts prose in, in there, as well as visuals and traditional comic book lettering, bubble text, all that sort of stuff. So that's again one of the one of the very powerful aspects of graphic novel design is that you can you can incorporate all those forms of narrative. It's just, you know, it's got to be designed in a congruent fashion. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
5: Yeah. Well it's just readjusting kind of how you display your art and your message in graphic novel format. Obviously, you have more freedom in some aspects with the visual. And then, you know, as you're comparing the UK versus USA comics, they're going to be either... Are you going to take it on the more wordy approach, actually? Or are you going to do it more of the UK style?
1: Some... It's actually a mixture. So depending on the story and actually depending on on the visualization of the story. So, for example, you know, Bram used a lot of words to describe a scene where an artist can do that in a panel. The important thing is taking the emphasis that Bram used with the words and making sure that the artist represents that in a panel. If a character has, uh, well, one of of the scripts that's already been written, some aspects of it are word-heavy because there's dialogue, and some aspects are actually
4: inferred narrative with the action that's going on within the panel. What I found was interesting in one of the scripts we've already done is that you would explain at the beginning, I thought, Chris, who are you telling this to? He's actually, mm-hmm. you've got the bubbles where the characters are doing their dialogue, but then he explains in another panel, and, and I didn't get it at the beginning. He goes, no, Dacre, that's me explaining it to the artist, what the yeah. artist has to, mm-hmm. had to depict here. And yeah. I was like, oh, thank God, because you know, that, that's going to be too much writing. But no, yeah. that, and, and I guess, you know, all, there's so many different people involved in putting a page together that you all have to be in sync. And I guess it helps if, you know, you're all playing by the same rules. And I found that fast. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's yeah, like I a orchestra, isn't it? Well, yeah. yeah, one of the great compliments that I got was that I visually
1: designed scripts. Now, there's another reason for it, is that I can see that everything that Decker and I are doing can become a... Can, can be brought to life in another format. So, you know, an animated short story. We do have somebody that's, we do have a production company that's interested in one of the scripts that have been written. And, you know, it'll be a live action story. So how I construct a script is in a manner that, if we send that script for a possible, you know, future franchisement opportunity, it's understood by screenwriters or it's understood by, you know, whoever needs to visualize that in their way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very powerful gift that a writer can, or the comic book industry can put upon a writer. Because you know, if you're writing a novel, you then have to, have to transcribe that some way visually then to a screenplay, for example.
4: Or, or but, you just get lucky or unlucky if the director and, and the, uh, the camera people don't get it. But here yeah. what you're doing is you're handing them their homework plus the wish list from the authors. And here you guys go. I mean, to be honest, guys, it scares me to death about what could happen with Dracul because we don't get to, you know, we describe things, but it doesn't mean that whoever's directing and and head of camera and everybody else, if they're going to just depict it their own way. So I love what Chris is doing. It's like, if, if, if you don't like it, then please don't buy this script from us. If you like it, We've done all the work and it's the way Bram Stoker desired it. And that's yeah. the best way it should. Be. Now, obviously there will be some tweaks and we're not going to be totally inflexible, but it is, it's cool that you, here it is. It's all right in front of you right here.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the, one of the things I love about working in comics is working with the artists. you know, I'm an artist myself and I'm actually working on Joe at the Joe. i think I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. I'm working on GI oh, Joe. Nice. At the so what's happening with that is I've got contacts for every day with the writer and the artists and, and colour in that. And we're coming up with narrative ideas to do with colour. So every step in comic book design, we're talking narrative. That's the process with comic books, or it should be. Sorry, it should be. I know it's not always. But we are discussing narrative every turn. So even with the lettering of a comic book, that is, that is a form of narrative, of exposition of the narrative. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to work with, you know, artists uh, with Dracula Lord of the Future working with Colin Maxwell's great uh, and Colin depicted Dracula in a way that has not been done before but is completely authentic and I think that's the secret, that's part of the secret sauce of designing and and writing a, a great graphic novel series it's not just giving the reader what they expect because you lift a book or a graphic novel and you think oh I know what they expect here, everybody knows Dracula Here's the challenge. Everybody knows Dracula. Everybody knows the beats of Dracula. Everybody knows what's supposed to happen. But how do you present that in a way that even though you know what's going to happen, you're not sure what's going to happen, but it's still authentic. Mm -hmm. So there's the greatest challenge of trying to take an established story. It's like Bram's short stories and craft craft a, a newness, a freshness so that even people who are familiar with these stories that it's it's something new when they lift it from the shelf and they read it, it's like
4: oh this is incredible this is fresh this is new i, I never thought of it that way or boy those guys it, it included a cool twist yeah, yeah that, that's what we're looking for it's just that little yeah. something that sets it apart from something that maybe was written 100 years ago yeah. or, or more and it just, ha- just ha- hasn't had its legs and so we're giving it new legs new twist obviously visualization New life. I've read in the last three in the last month.
1: I've read 60, 60 vampire comic books. Twenty five yeah. of them are Dracula,
0: <laughs> you're and i half t- John I, of vampire comics.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can tell you this. I, oh, well, I, I can tell you this that you can go and pick up a comic that says Dracula on it, but I can guarantee you you're, you're not going to see the real Dracula until you pick up a comic that's penned by Decker and myself. Yeah, I'm
5: even
1: guaranteeing that. I can't that's a big, it. That's a big claim, but I, I mean, I think, you know, I'm quite confident that it's going to be authentic. It's going to be, you know, powerful. And, and a lot of that comes from Decker's intention and my intention about how to represent his ancestor and how to bring this story into, into a, with a new, fresh approach to really get people to start looking at Bram Stoker in a completely different way. And it just—it's it's such an exciting process to work with them on this. It really is.
0: That's awesome. I, I think there's a ton of utility behind this idea, and I think that people are ready for something new in terms mm-hmm. of popular horror, because for you know for the past ten years it's been zombie, zombie,
4: zombies. And there's nothing wrong with zombie zombies. No, no not at all. And there's nothing wrong we even We've written a zombie story. <laughs> yeah. No, it, and, and, you know, it's, it, it goes in waves, doesn't it? And, and I'm, I'll say the same oh, thing totally about, about vampires. I mean, they become more romanticized. They become mm-hmm. like the, the person next door. and th- And that's totally fine. But I just think there's room for it to ebb and flow from, you know, the horror zombie revenant from the grave to the boy next door to... You know, Dracula in Alaska to Dracula in space to a little girl, let the right one in in Sweden and, you know, all these different. It's just we're, we are all looking for creative avenues to keep people on their toes, to keep them entertained and doing something a little different and a little bit original and getting people to look at, you know, the old works in new ways. And that's just it's a lot of fun, but it's also cool. It's a great feeling when people go, ah, I didn't think of that. Or that's cool. You guys did something just a little bit neat and different with that one.
0: So do, do you guys have any any specifics as to when we can expect to, to start seeing these on the shelves?
1: Uh, Lord of the Future is going to be out next month. Nice. And an, awesome. and an anthology called 13th Moon, which I'm, I'm actually coloring in the whole book. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, it's great. It's actually I just talked to for for a little minute about the book that Lord of the is in. Yeah, it's got werewolf stories, it's got stories that actually relate to Jeffrey's Malik character. So for those who don't know anything about Malik, Malik's a great roller. Will that be digital
0: only or will that be
1: will, Yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be digital digital and physical. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, It's, it's going to be, it's going to be available in in all formats. And so, yeah, it's it. So our first collaboration is, is coming out next month. Awesome. So um, Yeah.
0: We'll make a big deal about it when it comes out and hopefully I'm sure when it comes out, we'll have this out kind of congruent with it and we'll post details in the show notes.
1: Sure.
4: Is there anything else you guys uh, I, want to promote before we? Well, uh, yeah, Casey, I'd like to. I mean, it, it's just because we haven't got uh, a lot, you know, is farther along into publishers' hands yet. But I would like to plug, because we're talking graphic novels, something that I did before I met Chris, and is simply I wrote an afterword for a graphic novel that's really interesting because it's a first, but it's the Bella Lugosi estate. And it's their edition of Dracula, put out by Legendary Ooh, cool. Comics, and Ooh. the I've just been in touch with the granddaughter of Bella Lugosi. She has taken over, sort of running the estate uh, for, from her father, Bella Junior, and is d- you know, decided to kind of do what I'm doing for Brand. They've got a lot more licensing and, and marketing deals going on than I do, but that's fine. We're both trying to pr- pr- protect. Are the legacies of, of our uh, ancestors, and but they've gone so far as to get this very cool deal. They she wrote the forward, I did the afterward. It's coming out in October, and it's the Bela Lugosi State Dracula. And Lynn, we're actually going to be on a panel, series of panels together in a, uh, a convention, obviously a virtual one in Phoenix called FearCon, and that's later in oh, yeah. October.
0: Oh, that sounds cool.
4: Yeah, so that it's kind of fun to kind of reconnect with you know Bella and Bram Stoker were you know really owe a lot to each other's fame, and now their descendants are kind of re- reconnecting, and uh, Lynn Lagosi and I are are trying to keep the gig going, and and so it's so are Chris and I doing that. So we'll have more information. You know, go check out the BramStokerState dot org. My books are there. Some cool products are there. I've got a Bram Stoker. Bobblehead that's in it's a, that is licensed <laughs> by the uh, Bram Stoker Estate. Some some cool other products, and uh, yeah, and then when our <laughs> comics and graphic novels come out, we'll tell you more about them. You know, I'm going to buy one of those bobbleheads and have it sit on my
1: desk one. for inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to buy one of those now. Look, they look brilliant, by the way. They really yeah, do. They're cool. Yeah. Really I mean, yeah. Cool they're, looking they're, things, you know. They're, um, they're can I plug one? Bitches. Can I plug? Can I plug one thing or think it's another vampire comic I'm working on with a rock star called Baron Muscuria. Oh yeah, I can't that correctly. So the Baron, and he's never told me his real name. He was a bit secretive, a bit strange. He only works. They're
4: Chris. They're secretive. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you. Like,
1: yeah, lovely guy. I've spoken to him in video chat, but I've never asked him to show show his reflection to me in a mirror. But uh, yeah, he, we're doing a comic book together. So that's with that's with Blue Type Productions, I believe. And we are... I'm the colorist for it. So that is due to be released soon. So if you want to give that a plug, just to say that I'm working on that. Oh, Um, for sure. So it's kind of related to it. You can say that I'm working on G.I. Joe, if you want, with IDW. And god i'm working i'm actually working on about eight comic books minutes can, can so. you
4: not tell them about the guy from star trek that you're working on oh geez yeah
1: i'm working with william shatner I
4: forgot oh. about that. Oh. jesus I yet, forgot yet about another that. vampire come
1: on oh god oh mate oh god oh fuck you I mean, are you're, you're, since you're not
4: going to be broadcasting this i can tell you When's, it's it's scary
5: when do you when do you sleep <coughs>
4: He doesn't. He, I'm telling you the truth. He doesn't like garlic. He doesn't sleep. Have you guys <laughs> not figured it out yet? <laughs> <laughs> I
5: think, yeah. I'm seeing
1: something. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> there, yeah, well, you know, that's actually the old joke. The old joke when I moved to Canada, because everything's laced with garlic in Canada. Now, in Ireland, we do roll, we still wall up grapes of garlic. And we, <laughs> in some areas of the community, we do bury people at crossroads. You know, my background is actually, I'm a theologian. I did train to be a priest, you know, and left all that. But, and it, it, yeah, working with Shatner is interesting. He's the only person that truly scares me. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Form, I can totally... I never, personally looks at all your work, right? So I've, I had 10 pages I sent away to him on Monday or Tuesday. This is... What, what day is this? Thursday? I was Tuesday. So, yeah, you're kind of waiting for the email to come back if he likes it or not. And if he likes it, it's brilliant. If he doesn't like it, God help you. Um, <laughs> But I have had the cool experience where he rang me, and it was like, "Oh, Mister Shatter," and he said, "Oh, just call me Bill." Oh, nice. So nice. I, I didn't tell him. I, I didn't tell him I was wearing <laughs> a Spock t-shirt at the time. <laughs> 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 that was. My wife actually pointed that out. That was the, the moment of irony. Like I've worked on horror. Like I worked on the last Hellraiser horror film with Paul Taylor. I did that. I generally don't mention that because it was the script that I wrote was cannibalized. It was Hellraiser mm. Revelations. And yeah, it was a troubled production. So, I mean, I've done stuff in the horror field, but what, you know, what fascinates me is that it, moving away from the traditional tropes of horror into aspects of everyday horror, you know, I do have an idea for a comic book that's basically office hell, you know, it's office space, but it's basically hell. <laughs> I never really, it's that like working in an office okay. is absolute fucking hell. You know, they always say hell is other people. Well, I can tell you, it really is.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, so it's this, it's this comic book. I don't, I don't know you know, if it's going to be in the line that Decker and I are doing or if it's just going to be put out for fun, but it's going to be this Kafkaesque sort of hell. you know. And I think, you know, because I watched Office Space recently, yeah, I could really relate to that in previous jobs. So I do <laughs> like horror, but I like looking at horror from a different angle. I'm going to check out your books, Melissa.
5: Oh, my God, thank you.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, oh, that, that looks interesting. Because I, I don't read a lot of romance. Alyssa, okay. well, which yeah. would be,
4: if, if, if I was to start, which would be the first one? If I want to understand your writing and get to know what you do, what's the, what do you think is a good starting point?
5: Well, the first one is, is called Blood and Magic, the beginning of the Blood and Darkness series. It was my debut novel. Okay. Yeah, so that's like sort of the beginning. And then I just released um, the first book of a spin off series in... Um, May of this year so it'll be 10 years after the event and I'm trying to create my own you know universe of different characters and there's just like you were saying earlier there's so many different possibilities with side stories and things you can kind of play off of so but Blood and Magic would definitely be the first one to start with to get the good introduction in there yeah thank
4: you okay yeah Oh, thank you thank you okay
0: awesome well Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Melissa, thank you for for coming on and helping me out with this. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys have in store for us. You guys, we are going to put all the stuff in the show notes for the show.
1: So oh, I write guys- for spoiler. I write for spoiler country now. Don't yes, own, yes, that's that's what you they said video? the other day. Yeah, there you go. There's another <laughs> plug. So there's one. There's there's it's 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 in there now. It was a Dracula dracula why the legend endures forever or something was the the article so if you want to give that a wee plug as well go on ahead
0: oh dude for sure yeah i need to i need to post that on the on the twitter feeds and all that i'll get onto that soon is this week has been insane because my my in-laws normally keep my two kids during the week because they're doing a school via via the computer until all this crap dies down Oh wow. Uh they're at the beach. So I've been the teacher. Oh and my wife is my wife is a kindergarten teacher. She has 20, you know, students. I have two. They're my own kids. And, and they're, they're killing really you. <laughs> insane. Yeah. So but I actually have to go tuck them in. So yeah.
5: <laughs> go go
0: do it. <laughs> Y'all have a good I had a blast talking to you guys. Great.
5: Thank you so much Thank for having you.
0: me. Thank you all. Uh, yeah. Stay, yeah, stay, stay safe, stay man. man, and yeah, you it, guys too. Hope, hopefully, we don't send any more up to you. This this too bad.
4: <laughs> That's <laughs> enough for now. It's it's only the beginning oh, of the gosh. season. I'm sure we'll get some more Alabama weather. Oh, yeah. We're all tired. It's going <laughs> to snow here in about two
1: weeks. Got, this is what is my this is my second or third winter in Edmonton. Geez, I'm just bracing myself. It's a minus sixty gets to you, something. Oh, Alright, geez.
4: Hunker oh, down, man, boy. I
1: can't even imagine. It's uh,
4: that's, <laughs> That's well, All right, guys. Thank, thank you all very much. Take care. Wonderful. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye thank Enjoy. you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye.
2: And we're back. That was awesome, Melissa. You guys did a great job.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, I just can't believe how much... Uh, history was in there and just, you know, I felt like we got like a, an in-depth view into uh, a side of, you know, Bram Stoker that I never knew before.
2: Right. And it's, it's interesting to think that like, I think of Bram Stoker, I think of it being so long ago, but really it wasn't, he wasn't that long ago that, I mean, over a hundred years, right? 150 years, whatever. But the fact that his relatives are still working on his stories, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, like you, I didn't realize that either until we, you know, heard Dagger Stoker and I was like, oh, he has living relatives. So yeah, it wasn't that, that long ago, really in the grand scheme of things.
2: Right, right. And they're doing comic books now and more stuff. And, and Chris actually, he actually wrote some articles for our website too, which is pretty awesome. He's going to, he said he's going to write some more.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't wait to read more of his stuff. He's awesome. He's super talented.
2: He is. He is. And super nice guy too.
3: Yeah. Super friendly. And, you know, I mean, for, for Dagger Stoker to entrust him with. The Dracula stuff, you know, it's a huge compliment for him. So right. everybody needs to go check that out.
2: Right. And I gotta say before we go before we go to the outro here, I gotta say that uh, my my favorite part of the interview is in the very beginning when, when when Casey pronounced his name wrong, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and that whole I, I left all that in because it just made me laugh. <laughs> I love
3: that. That's so great. Yeah, I actually I looked it up beforehand because I thought, you know, I don't want to. It's my first interview. I don't want to mess up the guy's name. So I went and let, I, you know, I kind of cheated. I went and listened to another interview <laughs> that he did. <laughs>
2: that's what Kendrick, that's, I that's, forgot that's I've that, Yeah, that's what Kenner can I do for people coming on? And we can't pronounce your name. We go and try and find interviews, but or pronunciations of stuff. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, make sure we can say it right. Cause, and Kenrick's actually really good about pronouncing names in general for the most part. Uh, but he mm-hmm. always, his research is usually watching other interviews to see what people talk about and, and, and how they're pronouncing stuff, which is pretty cool.
3: Yeah, that was a smart way to do it. I mean, you know, occasionally I will just ask, you know, yeah. right out, like, before, before we record, be like, hey, I don't want to script your name. So uh, <laughs> how do I pronounce this? But, yeah, if I can find an interview where it's pronounced correctly, then I'm looking for that for sure.
2: Right, right. Well, I think... That is the show for the intro, outro, and for having uh, Daker and Chris come on and talk. Thank you so much for coming on, and also also thank you for joining the spoilerverse and doing interviews with us, and and doing that one. It's been it's been great having you on the ride. Be able to like last night when I kicked you, Charles Soul, because I was busy <laughs> and have and have the whole part to talk to him because <laughs> I was so busy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, no problem. I know. I enjoy doing it. I'm happy you guys have welcomed me in and um, I'm having a lot of fun.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, everybody out there listening, if you liked this, if you liked what you heard here, go to spoilerverse.com and check out all of our back issues for our show. we got tons of more in- interviews out there with, with writers and artists and, and creators of all walks of life, with actors and directors and producers and, and everything. And we have so many other podcasts up there, from Virgin the Geekdoms to Misery Point Radio to Nerd from the Crypt to Plenty Book Forensics. They have all their own shows going on every week. There's just so much content that you've got to go and you've got to check it out on the website on And Melissa, what else can they find there?
3: Well, we have really fun articles, pop culture, um, you know, comic book reviews. Um, there's so much content on there, you could scroll
2: and read for hours. That is very true. We got like five articles posting every day right now, which is pretty insane. And there's a store, you need to go to that store, you need to buy a t-shirt and look fly as hell, because they're pretty damn cool. Melissa has a hoodie and they're awesome and they're comfy.
3: I do, I do, and I have the mug. I oh, nice, mug well. nice.
2: I have a hoodie, yeah. I love it, I wear it all the time. My daughter, actually my daughter stole it from me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's comfy. <laughs> it
2: is. it is. And you should also go out there, you should go to scpod.us discord and join our public discord so we can talk to all of us. Enjoying all of our fun chats and the fun stuff we have there. Like answering Casey's question of the day, which is always cool.
5: Always fun. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and the last thing, the last thing we do where we always sound funny at the end is she's Notions of Podcasts. We are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the mind And read the